Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're joining us today. Well, happy Easter, everyone. We hope wherever you are listening to this podcast that you're able to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. No matter what's happening in the world, Resurrection Sunday still remains the most important day in history. And no matter your circumstances, you can find hope in Jesus. Today, Pastor Nicole is going to share why our faith can be shatterproof by examining what Easter means for us today. But first, we're going to begin with a powerful testimony of two parents whose faith was put to an incredible test. Let's join Dr. Mark and Becky Hogue as they share the story of their daughters, Sarah and Michelle. In 2018, our youngest daughter, Sarah, um, became ill. Then rapidly, it progressed into a very serious illness. Going into the sixth day, uh, Sarah had called me in the morning as well as her husband Ryan and said that the physician wanted to meet with us and to try to direct us to other care. And I was praying on the way in and I felt very strongly that she should be going to Cleveland. The physician himself said that he just felt some leading to have us go to Cleveland and it seemed to be what God was saying to us. So arrangements were made and she began to make the trip to Cleveland in an ambulance, but she was getting progressively worse. During that ambulance ride, Ryan took a video of her um, singing and doing some praise songs, but actually was thinking that this might be the last video that he would see of his wife. And at about one o'clock in the morning, a Croatian resident figured out that it was one of three things and immediately indicated that Sarah had about 12 hours to live. There was one test that they had to run to rule out the most deadly of these diseases, and they would know that in eight hours, and she feared that she would not even have those eight hours. She made it through those procedures, and we then got through that day. She was then diagnosed by the end of that day on Friday with atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome, which is a one in two million disease. And what was amazing about all of that is that we were directed to Cleveland, and Cleveland was one of four places in the United States that had that medicine on board. Throughout that, she was constantly playing worship songs and singing to the Lord when she was able. She wanted whatever Jesus wanted. She really clung to that and just gave up her own will. Well, Sarah, had arrived at that point, I wasn't there. I knew I needed to get there, and I understood the truth of that, but I was not ready to give up our daughter at that point, but needed to prayerfully come into alignment with whatever God wanted. She got that only medicine that was available to her and uh, began a road of recovery. Every two weeks, she gets a double dose of this medication and currently is scheduled to do that for the rest of her life. She is stable on that medication, uh, but this is still a very, very serious disease. We thought that we were through a pretty tremendous trial here, but eight months later, we found out that uh, our journey wasn't done. We had another blow to our stability when we found out that uh, Michelle was going through a very, very difficult time as well. Her husband, Nick, called us and told us that Michelle had been diagnosed with leukemia. And 
it, it's hard to describe what that felt like after just going through life and death situation with our daughter, Sarah. Um, kind of feel like I had been punched in the gut. Just, this was almost too much to bear. We felt pretty shattered. Michelle and Nick are part of a church in North Carolina. Michelle is a is part of the worship band there. Somebody in the congregation had gifted the worship band a week in the studio to cut an album for Christmas. That morning, she was singing a song that was an original song, and it was called God of All Comfort. She sang it for hours, laying down tracks, only to hear later that afternoon that she had leukemia. She had been singing the song all day, God of All Comfort, but now God was calling her to live that. And God has really done a mighty work in her through this illness. And hopefully, if she can move into remission or stay as low as she is at this current time, that her medications can be reduced. All of these things are part of what we are praying for, for the future, for our daughters and for their families. I think part of being shatterproof is, once again, not the fact that bad things don't happen to us, but God is interested in how it is that we respond when these bad things happen to us. Our daughters are still sick, although they're managed, and this requires an ongoing faith walk, I think, on all of our parts, both yours and mine and this family. Mm -hmm. But we've seen God and his deliverance through some very, very difficult times with them. We have assurances through prayer that will continue at least to be stable. We have hope that they will be healed physically. But I can tell you that I believe that both Michelle and Sarah are very shatterproofed and we've seen healing within their mind. We've seen healing within their spirit and we're really looking for that healing in their physical bodies as well. We know that in Christ's power, that we can become shatterproof. And we hope that some of the things that our family has gone through in the past two years especially might give you an idea about how to get through this as we've attempted to get through this in Christ's power. What a powerful testimony of watching God take a broken situation and put the pieces all back together. It's amazing what God can do with a broken thing when we trust him with all the pieces. Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is shatterproof. Nothing can undo it. Nothing can break it. He conquered death once and for all. We're using this word, shatterproof, as our theme this Easter to remind us of this deep truth of Resurrection Sunday. That Jesus Christ's love for us is not fragile. It is not waffling. His love isn't weak or tired for us. It is unbreakable. It's resilient. It's unchanging. It's immovable. And we can put all our hope and trust in the fact that he is risen indeed. Easter is the turning point of Christianity. It is the core of our faith and the gospel message. God sent Jesus, his only son to earth, to accomplish one mission. His mission was to die on the cross for our sin and to be raised to life in three days. After Jesus was beaten up and mocked and humiliated, they put him on a cross. And he suffered and he died. 
And in John 19.30, it records this final moment when it says, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Later that same day, two of Jesus' friends took his body off the cross, wrapped it up with Jewish culture burial traditions, and they placed him in a tomb that was nearby. Now, it wasn't a family headstone that they had been saving for this moment. It was just an unoccupied tomb that they could stash Jesus' body for now until they could figure something else out. It was a borrowed tomb. But no one could ever dream what would happen next. I want us to look in Matthew 28 this morning, verses 1 through 7, as we see the resurrection story. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Now, this morning during our Easter celebration, I want us to walk through this passage together. Because as the scripture unfolds, we watch how these first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection go through a transformation of heart. And I believe that is so important for us to look at because this is what Jesus is still doing for us today. This is what Jesus is doing on Easter. And this is what Jesus is doing today is he wants to transform our heart. He's wanting to bring us uh, into relationship with him, a relationship that changes what we think about, what we do, who we are. He's beckoning us to remember the victory that he has won on our behalf. Through Easter, he was reminding us that his promises are not fragile, that nothing can separate us from his undying, unending love, and the work of Jesus' death and resurrection is shatterproof. After all these years and forever and all the years ahead of us and to come. So the first eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection was a group of women. Now in Matthew, in the scripture we just read, two of the women were listed, but in the other gospels, it's revealed that there are actually several more. And this group of women had come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they traveled through Galilee following him, ministering to him personally, caring for him whenever and however that they could. And they had become very familiar with Jesus, very familiar with his, his words and his actions and the way that, that he treated people and his message. And these women, they were there when Christ died. They were surrounding the foot of the cross at his death. And then these same women were there at the burial and they were anointing Jesus' body with spices and they were helping to see uh, that he was placed in the tomb in, in a dignified and respectful way. They wanted him to be honored. And they were the ones that were sitting in the darkness as the tomb was sealed and, and their hearts were grieving at the death of this, this man that they had come to know so well. Matthew 28.1, uh, we read that we see that these women are now back again. 
And I love how it says that the dawn was breaking, so that means they had left their homes when it was still dark, so they could travel to the tomb and be there when the sun was rising. And out of their love for Jesus, they were at the cross, and now out of that same love, they are at the grave. And in Mark 16, which is another angle of this account, we see that the reason that the women were at the grave early in the morning, uh, they had brought spices to come and anoint Jesus. Now, the Jewish people did not embalm dead bodies. That was not their culture. That was not their, their tradition. And so on the third day of a body being in a grave, the body would begin decaying. And the women would know this, and they wanted to try to put some spices and some fragrances on Christ's body so that it would overpower the stench. I love how the women were dealing with the smell. Isn't that the truth? We're always dealing with the smell. We're always trying to figure out what is it that smells and how can we fix it? And so they were very concerned about this happening to someone that they loved so much. So as an act of respect, as an act of sympathy, and as an act of compassion, they came to the tomb that morning. They had no idea what was about to happen, but that is why they came. They felt so bad that Jesus was killed on the cross, that they wanted to try to do something, and they did not expect Jesus to be alive. In fact, how we know that is they brought spices to deal with his dead body. He wouldn't have needed spices if they thought he was alive. And so when they got there, the scripture says that they had a problem because a stone had been rolled across the face of the grave, a huge, giant boulder, In Mark 16, verse 3, they ask, who will roll the stone away for us? This stone is large. It's massive. They looked at it. They were very intimidated. They were not going to be able to roll this stone away. And so they came to the grave with sympathy. They came to the grave with compassion for Jesus. Now, I think even today, maybe some of you watching, you may be able to identify with the women in feeling sympathy for Jesus. In fact, I think it's easy for any of us, whether we believe we're Christians or or not, to have sympathy for Jesus. When you hear the account of an innocent man beaten and insulted, hurt and wounded, falsely accused and unfairly punished, you will have sympathy on that person. And I do think we should stop and reflect on the injustice that Jesus endured. But sympathy for Jesus is not the point of the cross. Sympathy for Jesus is not the message of the empty tomb. God wasn't asking the women to have sympathy and to stop there. Feeling bad for Jesus isn't our key to salvation or eternal life. It must go further than just having compassion on a man who was abused and hurt. Because Jesus was more than a good man that got an unjust punishment. He is the savior of the world. And what he is about to prove in this scripture passage is he is shatterproof. So quickly, the women's sympathy turns to another emotion. And we we watch this happening, this transformation. And that emotion was fear. It was terror. We read in Matthew 28 verse 2 that there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Now, so what we read here is an earthquake occurs, and the women are 
literally standing in the epicenter of it. So what caused the earthquake? Maybe a better question is, who caused the earthquake? And the scripture says it was an angel. An angel comes down from heaven and it shakes the earth violently. It wasn't tectonic plates shifting beneath them, which is the scientific um, reason why there's earthquakes. It was an angel landing on the earth that made the ground tremble. And the angel rolled the stone away. And I love this detail that they decide to share with us from this moment. He sat on the stone. In my mind, that's as if to say, you know what? The ending of the story isn't hanging in the balance somewhere. Like everybody just sit down (laughs) because Jesus is the winner and he is victorious over this grave. We are not worried about what's happening. We will sit on this grave as the, the stone is rolled away because Jesus has already been victorious over the grave. Then verse four, we read, it said, the guards are so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So the guards shake and they pass out. And now these Roman soldiers, they aren't your local wimps. They aren't the Barney Fifes of the community. Okay, these guys are, are soldiers. And in fact, this was such an important thing happening in the culture. They probably sent the brightest and the best. They've been around. They've seen some things. They should be ready for anything. But they literally fall in a coma when the angel comes on the scene. They fall over in unconsciousness. They're paralyzed with fear. And they were victims of their terror. In fact, later we read that uh, they came to see the chief priests and they tell them, hey, this is what happened. This is our side of the story. And the chief priests bribe them to to lie about it because it's so unbelievable. And honestly, it's probably embarrassing that their very best Roman soldiers are just completely terrified of what is actually happening at the grave. So verse 5 says, the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So the angel turns to the women, the only ones who are left standing because the guards are passed out, and he says, don't be afraid. The literal translation of that is, fear not, stop fearing. Literally, stop fearing. The angels didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. Jesus was already gone. Later in the scripture, we see that uh, he walked through walls to get into the upper room. He was not trapped inside a stone grave. He was not limited by anything that we see here in the natural. But the angel did not roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out. The angel rolled the stone away to let the women in. And the angel says, come and look. I'm going to roll this away so that for you, so that you can come and look. And I, I love the implications of this is that God loves us so much that he says, I will send an angel to earth to roll the stone away so that the women that I love that are watching can actually see with their own eyes that Jesus has overcome the grave. And the angel says to the women, he is not here. He's not in the tomb. He, he's gone. The resurrection has already happened. And when the women look in the tomb and see Jesus' clothes lying there in the tomb, they are terrified. They, They can't make sense of it. And their sympathy, all of a sudden their sympathy for their friend and their and their leader Jesus became fear. 
And maybe when it comes to the Easter story, that is the emotion that you identify with the most. Perhaps it's fear. Maybe, maybe you feel afraid Jesus doesn't care about you or he won't accept you because of all the failures and, and mistakes that you have made in your life. Maybe you have some major regrets that leave you very fearful. Maybe, maybe you're afraid because uh, like uh, the testimony we heard today, you are facing a health crisis or your, your children are facing a health crisis. Maybe you are in financial strain. Maybe you are in an abusive relationship that you just can't get out of. Or maybe your fear is birthed all out of this COVID-19 social distancing quarantine, quarantining situation and this weeks and weeks of it. And you are just totally paralyzed by fear. You know, fear can leave us in such a broken mess. But when it comes to Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, the angel at the tomb speaks to our fear. And this is the message. Literally stop fearing because Jesus is shatterproof. Literally stop fearing because Jesus is shatterproof. He is not here. He is risen because he does what he says he will do. He is trustworthy and he is constant and he is steady and he is strong. And he isn't here in the tomb anymore because he has triumphed over the grave. Death has no hold on him. And if you were in the room today, you would be cheering <laughs> and we would be excited and celebrating together. Because what the angel told the woman that day is the same truth that we can hang on to all these years later. The women, they experienced sympathy at first for Jesus. Then they experienced fear because things were happening they didn't understand. Things were happening they couldn't make sense of. And then thirdly, we see their hearts just even transforming more in the story in Matthew 28, verse 7, uh, where it says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. And now I have told you. So the women hurried from the tomb, afraid... They're still afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. So the women now are filled with joy. What a roller coaster. <laughs> Just in these few short moments, they're, they are going from sympathy and sadness and grief to, to straight up fear. And now they're still afraid, the scripture says, but they're filled with joy. And they are running. They're running away from the tomb toward the disciples because that's what the angel tells them to do. And they're running to let them know the message that the angel gave them. And the angel said, go to Galilee. Jesus will meet you there. He's alive and he'll meet you in Galilee. And their hearts are filled with joy and they're running because they realize that Jesus is really alive. And what that means for them is there is a future, that there is more to life that it's not over, that death and darkness and despair has not had the final word, that Jesus died and rose again, and he blazed a trail through the grave and, and out the other side. And, and this means that our life just isn't a long tunnel that ends when we stop breathing, that the lights go out and, and there's nothing else. There is an afterlife, there is an eternity, and there is hope. And death is not the last thing that we will experience. And so their heart goes from sympathy to fear to joy. And then finally we see in Matthew 28 verse 9 that suddenly on their way to tell the disciples, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, 
and worshiped him. So just imagine that with me for a moment. The women are skipping. They're walking along. They're, they, they are going to do what their, their mission, their assignment is. And Jesus himself greets them. And you know, in, in the Greek language, this moment actually translates that Jesus says to them, Hi. <laughs> Hello. Good morning, ladies. Like he, he just, he greets them the way that he would if they were going into a city to have lunch. It wasn't anything profound. It wasn't anything manipulative. It wasn't anything that told a command that told them what to do. It was this ordinary salutation of a marketplace or of a home. And I got to thinking why Jesus did that, like why he didn't say more. And what I, what I can imagine is that this salutation from Jesus, this hello from Jesus, is probably something they had been longing for since the moment that he had died. And they knew that, Jesus knew that it would put their hearts at ease instantaneously, that they would know it was him, and that they would, they would just have this moment of connection, just like they always had when they were walking from town to town. And so uh, they came up and they took hold of his feet. And you know what they did? The scripture says they worshiped. They went from sympathy to fear to joy and then to worship. And by the way, this isn't Jesus in the spirit. This isn't an apparition or a figment of imagination. And, and this isn't a group hallucination. They're not all uh, thinking that they see Jesus and it's not really him. This is a person, a person who just rose from the dead. And they grasped his feet and they seized him with adoring love. And they were overwhelmed with thanks. They were overwhelmed with wonder. And they fell at his feet and they worshiped him. And they said, what does that mean? And they transformed from just having sympathy for a man that was badly hurt to being fearful of the circumstances around them to joy and then to worship. So how did their hearts transform to this? They acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior. They offered worship and they recognized his deity. They recognized his glory. They recognized his lordship. And this is where we need to end up on Resurrection Sunday. This is where God wants to take you and to take me straight from, from our sympathetic feelings, straight from our, our fear that grips us, straight out of our joy that's maybe conditional based on circumstances to those around us, straight to the feet of Jesus. And we need to bow our face before Jesus and confess him as Lord and worship him. And that is where the first eyewitnesses of Jesus did. And they were forever changed. Matthew 28, verse 10, the passage ends with this. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You know, it was interesting because they had heard this familiar message before. Don't be afraid. Remember, the angel told them the same thing, same speech, okay? It's starting to sound familiar. And Jesus says, go to Galilee, there they will see me. And this sympathy and this turned fear, turned joy, turned worship ends with hope. The women all of a sudden are saying, we're going to see him again. We're all going to be together again in Galilee. All of this, this, this shattering, all of this breaking that we have experienced over these last week, all of this hopelessness and this darkness and this confusion, all of that is gone. Fear is gone and hope is here because Jesus has, has beaten the grave and hope rose with the dawn on that Easter day.
Our hope is rooted in the truth that we believe Jesus is shatterproof. And this is the message of Christianity. That Jesus came because we were far from God. That we were desperate, broken, hurting people that needed a savior. You may ask a savior from what? We need saved from addiction, saved from broken heart, saved from greed, saved from selfishness. A savior from our dark thoughts, a savior from evil intentions, a savior that knows our deepest need even when we can't put our own finger on it. And the part that is so life-changing is the realization that we deserve the darkness, that, that we deserved the punishment, that Jesus took all of that sin, all of those consequences, all of that punishment, and in one act, he stepped in our place. And on that cross, your face was on his mind. On that cross, he was thinking about you. And it wasn't frustration or anger he was feeling. He was feeling love. He was making a choice out of deep, unexplainable love to step into your place, the place where you should have been. And he died on that cross to take the punishment away and allow us to be close to God again. And three days later, he rose again. He rose again to remind us that we have hope, that he is God and death can't keep him down and the grave can't stop him, that he is God and he has conquered death and it is finished and the darkness no longer wins. It can no longer triumph or exist. That today, wherever you are listening, I want you to know that you can come into relationship with Jesus. Easter is the perfect time because just like the women in the scripture we, re we read today, your heart can be transformed. Whether you're feeling sad, whether you're feeling fearful, whether you're feeling joyful, that your heart can be transformed. And all you have to do is pray this prayer with me today. So maybe you're in your living room or maybe you're listening to this uh, in your car, wherever you are right now, your, the place where you are doesn't matter, just the condition of your heart. And so if you want a relationship with Jesus, I just want you to pray this with me right now. And if you're just watching, if you just bow your head and pray for those that are gonna make this decision. Jesus, I am sorry for the ways that I have run from you. I'm sorry for not trusting you or believing you at times. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to put you first in my life. Teach me how to do that. I believe that your promises are shatterproof. And it is in your victorious name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we want to know because we want to help you on your journey to Jesus. So would you just take a moment right now and just email hope at eriefirst.org. Just send us a message. Tell us your name and that you made a decision for Jesus. And we want to get in touch with you and just help you, give you some resources that will help you on your journey. I'll end with this today. Philip Brooks penned these words. Tomb thou shalt not hold him longer. Death is strong, but life is stronger. Stronger than the dark, the light. Stronger than the wrong, the right. Faith and hope, triumphant say, 
Christ will rise on Easter Day.
Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find all our podcasts and series videos at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.